from the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, and it is an honor, privilege, to fill in for the great Brian Kilmeade today, who has earned his place on what I call the Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America today. But I feel like I have to back up that statement. I back it up because Talkers Magazine, that's been around for about 40 years, places Brian as the third most important radio talk show host in America and he is, simply put, he is. You can follow Brian at BrianKillmead.com, TheBrianKillmeadShow.com. As you know, Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author. Brian's latest work, and two of them, uh, because you've got the President and the Freedom Fighter, that's Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and the battle, their battle to save America's soul. That's available now with new content, additional content in paperback form, and, of course, Teddy and Booker T, which I've had the pleasure to watch Brian's show, the live show, twice. And I'm telling you, this is not just in friendship, because Brian and I are friends, but this is not about friendship. This is about the quality of the show. If you have an opportunity, if Brian is coming anywhere near your town, you want to get your tickets. And all that information is at briankillmead.com. Of course, Brian, Fox and Friends co-host and the host of One Nation every Saturday night, at 9 p.m. Uh, it is also my pleasure to announce that on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is United States Congressman David Kustoff. He's the distinguished gentleman from Tennessee's 8th Congressional District, a member of the Ways and Means Committee, and as I think many in the Brian Kilmeade audience know, because I call Brian the, um, the history professor of this uh, era in terms of informing people about how government works, the Constitution, and everything. Uh, so if you did well in school, you know that all spending measures begin in the House of Representatives and specifically in the Ways and Means Committee. So it's a huge committee assignment. And I love and I want to learn more about this, Congressman Kustoff. I've heard about it. You are the chairman of the House Knesset Parliamentary Friendship Group. And, boy, do we need that now. I mean, we have a president that is referred to the prime minister at a time of war and he says the full word, I won't, as an a-hole. Uh, that's pretty bad, Congressman Kostoff. Yeah, Harry, good morning. Thank you for having me on this morning. It's, it's really good to be with you and with, with the whole audience. Uh, well, first of all, on this Knesset group, the, the friendship group, it's a real honor to get to chair that. Uh, former Speaker McCarthy appointed me to, to chair it. It's, it's made up of Republican and Democrat Congressman, so it's it's it is bipartisan, and it's meant to do exactly what the name implies. It's a friendship group to reach out and connect with members of the Knesset. Um, it was created before October seventh, before the Hamas terrorist attacks, so um, we can further demonstrate our commitment and our uh, our appreciation to our greatest ally in the Middle East, and that's. And that's Israel. And and just a couple of weeks ago, we had the speaker of the of the Knesset, Speaker Ohana, in Washington for for several days, and there was really good back and forth between members of the House of Representatives, both Republicans and Democrats, members of the Knesset, um, other other leaders, military leaders, 
about everything that's happening that has happened in Israel from October 7th forward. And that that helps me, I think, be a better decision maker and a better legislator. Congressman Kustoff, uh, I, I feel like I know what your answer is going to be because I know where your heart is on all of this. Our president at every turn is trying to convince Prime Minister Netanyahu and Israel that they should stand down, that there should be this ceasefire for this length of time and that ceasefire and all of that. I don't think we would have been very receptive uh, at the time of September 11, 2001, when President Bush declared war on the terrorist enemy that killed thousands of Americans and other people that were uh, in the two buildings in New York City. Here, Hamas terrorists uh, murder 1,200 plus Israeli citizens and the American president is trying to have Israel stand down. I, I strongly reject that, and I wanted to get your comments on it. You know, we there was a ceasefire on October the 6th, and Hamas violated that ceasefire on October the 7th, to your there point. You uh, those terrorists killed more Jewish people in any one given day since the Holocaust. And yeah. I, 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 it's an amazing statement to make. And I put that in in perspective. So, you know, the fact of the matter is Hamas violated the ceasefire. That's right. And, you know, there's a there's a, a, a saying that if uh, Hamas were to lay down its weapons, there would be no war. If Israel were to lay down its weapons, there would be no more Israel. There you go. And, and so, he, I think that ahead. sums it up. It really does very, very well. See, here's how I look at it as well. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, and that was definitive and unambiguous, and that's how we need to be in these things, not this wishy-washy thing that I'm with you, but I'm really not. And he's calculating the politics of of the pressure he's getting from people, radicals like your colleague Rashida Tlaib. Well, that must be a real doozy to work with. Uh, but here's how I feel about this. They're halfway through the job. you got to let them complete the job. Because it it's pretty much plays off of what you said a few moments ago, Congressman Kustoff, and that is that if you give them a ceasefire, Israel will honor it. Hamas will not. It's like that phony Iranian deal that, that we're supposed to honor, but, but they don't. And, of course, Congress, not even Democrats, could give the support that was needed to make that thing happen. So they try to make it happen anyhow. But I, I say that you got to let them finish uh, because if you give Hamas a breather, a break— They'll simply use that time and more Israelis will be at in danger and at risk because Hamas will not truly have a ceasefire. They'll recalibrate. That gives them a chance because Israel can wipe them out given the opportunity. Uh, so what do you what do you think about that? That that really is what a pause or a ceasefire. It gives Hamas the opportunity to reload. You're, you're exactly right. If. If there was a ceasefire today, if if, if um, the United Nations, that resolution that they voted on yesterday were to have passed for whatever effect that would that would have had, of course, the United States vetoed it. Um, Hamas would just use that opportunity to replenish itself. And remember, of course, we just talked about the 1,200 people that were killed on October 7th. They are still holding hostages. Yes, they're still holding hostages uh, that are that are in their captivity. Uh, some we know have been raped. Some are uh, the females are likely pregnant. 
And if, if I can go back, there's a there's a, a 47 minute video that that I and other members of Congress have seen that was taken on the day of October the 7th. And it it was taken uh, using Hamas body cam, victim cell phone. When I tell you, uh, of course, I realize that I'm talking to people and I don't maybe everybody I'm talking to has not seen this video because it has not been released publicly. You can't imagine the brutality and the uh, the absolute destruction, the, the disregard for human life. And so you've got to remember that these Hamas terrorists are exactly that. They are terrorists. Yes. Uh, to your point, the people who best know how to deal with and how to address these Hamas terrorists are the are the Israelis and their leaders on the ground. We uh, you know we see all the time new tunnels underground yep. that that uh, that were built and constructed by Hamas and maybe other Iranian proxies that the world didn't know about, maybe maybe knew about but didn't have definitive proof of until after after these attacks. So Israel needs to continue to finish to do its job. I will say that in the in the halls of Congress, uh, I still think that there is really, really strong support for for Israel. But we do know and you, you talked about one of the other members of Congress there are other members of Congress who would be happy to see uh, no more Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's sad. Now, I don't know how many they there of them there are, but we do know that they have loud voices. So, I think it's in the United States' best interest to absolutely show the the full submit uh, full commitment and support for our greatest ally in the Middle East, Israel. We've got to show that, Harry, to the American people. We need to show that to Israel, and we need to demonstrate that to the rest of the world. So well said. We're visiting with United States Congressman David Kustoff of Tennessee on the Ways and Means Committee. That's obviously very important work. I'm going to get into a financial question in a moment. And the chairman of the House Knesset Parliamentary Friendship Group, which is very important, especially when we have mixed signals going out. You know, I was thinking about... Um, not to be shocking or anything like that, but we need the American people, we need the world to understand that Hamas placed babies in ovens and cooked them to death, put them in microwave ovens, raped women to death, beheaded people in front of their, their families. I mean, these are unspeakable, barbaric things. So anytime somebody thinks that Israel should give Hamas a break and have a ceasefire, Think about that. I think because that does not get mentioned enough, sort of like at the time of September 11th, the Democrat media sort of made a call that the American people can't handle the truth. So they really didn't show much of what happened. You know, people jumping out of the World Trade Center towers and 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 how terrible all of that was. I I think people need to know that these were monsters uh, and terrorists that committed unspeakable acts and that Israel has every right to defend itself and its people. And I've always wondered why so many people talk about a two-state solution and making peace. How do you make peace with a terrorist enemy 
that wants you exterminated from the planet. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And, and obviously we're dealing with generations upon generations upon hundreds and thousands of years of these attitudes towards the towards the Jewish people. And, you know, I, I talked a moment ago, Harry, about this 47-minute video yeah. that I watched that was taken the day of, of, uh, of the attack, October the 7th. And you, you said something that I think is exactly correct, and I, and I view that, uh, what you just said, watching that video. You know, we all, uh, we all see images on our local newscast of, of terrible violence. Uh, you know, we see uh, gruesome violence on TV and movies and, and streaming. It is something to see this video that happened in real life. Um, the the murders, the beheadings. It it goes beyond shocking, mm. and and this is this is real life. Uh, you, you know, you wonder uh, is there a time that um, that people like these Hamas terrorists can put aside their their absolute hatred of the of the Jewish people and learn to learn to live and to and to coexist some of this is is leadership you know I think back to the to the Trump presidency and the uh, the agreement that President Trump helped negotiate between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain that couldn't have been done I'm convinced without President Trump's leadership, and I I do wonder if if President Trump had been president on October the seventh, two thousand twenty three, whether Hamas would have attacked Israel. I, you know, leadership leadership matters. Our leadership matters, um, and that goes to the issue of of strength. And the one thing that we know about Israel, their government, their military. They are absolutely strong, and so we've got to enable them and empower them to do the job that they see that they see fit as it relates to Hamas, uh, certainly as it relates to Hamas. Could not agree more. We have less than a minute, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond because the president has made you and your colleagues, the House Republicans, the foil. You're keeping uh, Israel from having funding that it needs. You're keeping Ukraine from having funding. Give us about 45 seconds on that. Yeah. You know, we have had two votes in the House on regarding aid to Israel. One was in early November where our new speaker at that time, Mike Johnson, had put forth the bill, $14 billion plus in aid for Israel. He would have taken money that had been appropriated to the IRS, $14 billion that had not been spent and used that money for Israel. It passed out of the House bipartisan but Chuck Schumer wouldn't take up that vote. And then, uh, and then a week or so ago, Final $17 seconds. billion dollars in aid for Israel. Um, President Biden said if it passed, he would veto it. And Democratic leaders in the House whipped against that vote. They encouraged their members not to vote for it. This was a very important conversation with the United States Congressman David Kustoff of Tennessee. Congressman, thank you. Keep thank, up the good work. Thank you, Harry. Thank you for having me this morning. You are welcome, sir. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Much more important content straight ahead. This is 
The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, friend of Brian's, filling in today for the great Brian Kilmeade. As you know, Brian has the week off, and it is well-earned. I, I believe he's the hardest-working person in our industry, and it's an honor to uh, – I can't fill the chair, but we'll, we'll do our best not to break his show. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for spending this portion of your day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back after the bottom of the hour – Griff Jenkins, who I know you all know very, very well, and Griff has been a friend of mine for a long time since his days with Colonel Ali North, uh, Fox News correspondent, host of The Drug Lords, Hippos. That's on Fox Nation. And this special right now, you should make it your business. Uh, I'm a founding member, actually, of um, Fox Nation, and I love the content. And it isn't just politics. It isn't just news, movies, entertainment, wonderful shows, just terrific. And there's also uh, the 24-7 border crisis that's streaming now on Fox Nation. And you can find out not not the spin, not the, Mayor, the, the now earned impeached Alejandro Mayorkas telling you that the border is not open and all these things. He At scare time, he sort of... Uh, you know, came around and started telling the truth a little bit. But there are a lot of things going on right now. This California issue where they're coming right over the mountain into America. We have more than 20,000 migrants from China. Would they ever allow 20,000 Americans to pour into China? Can you even imagine that this would be even possible? And I hear that at the State of the Union address, the president wants to recast reset his failed presidency a lot to cover griff is next on the brian kilmeade show the more you listen the more you'll know it's brian kilmeade well, they allow 5,000 people a week, but a lot of people took it as 5,000 people a day. They said 5,000 people a week, and you read it, and it says 5,000 people a day. Number one, that, but it also made it, it made it much better for the opposing side. And there you have it, and I think that's one of the most important things about this. Had President Trump continued on that also in that Senate legislation, if it, and it will never become law, but had it become law, it would have allowed the president – Biden and Secretary Mayorkas to to shut the thing down, the legislation. They had all kinds of power built into that thing. You know, if Chuck Schumer wanted it, that there was some bad news stuff in there. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade show is a longtime friend of mine and a great Fox News personality. And you see him on the Fox News channel. You hear him on Fox News radio and also on the um, the great Fox Nation uh, digital product where streaming now you have the opportunity to witness uh, Griff Jenkins' work as it relates uh, to the program. He hosts the Drug Lords Hippos, awesome work. And also Griff is streaming now on Fox Nation with Bill Malusian on uh, 24-7 border crisis. So much important content, so much to talk about, Griff. 
Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, my friend. Harry, it's always great to be back with you. And we do have very important stuff on Fox Nation right now to include my reporting from Hakumba, California, where we're seeing this massive 500% increase in Chinese migrants. But I want to digress, and this is the beauty of talk radio and why I started in it and why I love it and great hosts like you. If we can go back... To, and this is where you learn a little bit about people. This has nothing to do, by the way, with the border. I'm a terrible digress here. But that ZZ Top bump song that we bumped in. Yes. Can we fire that one more time? Let me tell you why that means something to me. Just let that sharp-dressed man roll. The, so when I was a kid in high school, my older brother was an engineer at Ardent Recording Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. And he was the uh, uh, music engineer on the, there it is. There it is. Right there. When this song, when this song was recorded on the Eliminator album, a 13-year-old kid named Griff Jenkins was behind the glass watching him do it. Billy Gibbons nicknamed me LB for little bro. Because he knew that my brother, Kim Jenkins, whose name's on the liner notes with John Fry. They were, John Fry and Kim Jenkins are the two guys that did the Eliminator album. I got to sit in for day after day, night after night. And they would go sometimes at 2, 3 in the morning. And they may or may not have offered me a shot of Jack Daniels whiskey, which I, of course, <laughs> would never confess to taking as a 13-year-old. But it's ZZ Top, for God's sakes. They had attractive, you know, uh, women that were hanging out with them and all sorts of people. And they even brought from Texas a magician that would just do, like, card tricks to entertain them and keep them, like, motivated. But I digress. I heard that 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 bump in music, and uh, it always takes me back. Uh, a Griff, great, great would that, time. if you were, like, a WWF, now, of course, it's called WWE, if you were a performer like that, or even in, in this realm of, of your professional career, would that be your walk-up? Or sometimes I hear people say walk-out or your walk-up music. Would that, be, would that be yours? That's a nice... That's a nice walk-up type it, thing. And that is such a nice hypothetical thing because yeah. at five nine and a buck seventy, my WWE career would last about all of nine seconds <laughs> and it would be over. But I definitely, without a doubt, would walk out to ZZ Top. Paint this picture, the great Griff Jenkins, as only you can, because you see this very up close. Uh, and it's just stunning to see that they're walking over the mountains into California at will, and you're seeing it by the hundreds. And, of course, in a relatively few short months, it's been more than 20,000 migrants from China. they got to be coming here for a reason, Griff. I don't have to know every one of them to know that some of them have bad intentions. And you put your finger on it, Harry. Why? Why are they here? 20,000 since October 1st. That's four and a half months. And 90% or more of those 20,000 are in the San Diego sector there in Hakumba, California. And we saw, and I've posted pictures of Chinese migrants literally coming across rolling roller suitcases, not a speck of dirt on their clothes, which means they're actually flying into Tijuana and simply having the cartel drive them right to the border crossing where they come across. They had a clean shower that morning before they came over. And it's alarming. In all of fiscal year 2021, the entire fiscal year, there were only 450 
Chinese migrants come across the border for the entire year. In the past three days in the San Diego sector, in Hakumba, where I was and where Bill Malusian just took over, just the past three days, last 72 hours, there have been 452. So more than the entire fiscal year. And it's very troubling because... We know that border officials, I've confirmed this in my reporting a few months ago, we know that uh, border officials have briefed behind closed doors members of Congress, at least in the House, about the potential uh, ties of these Chinese migrants, which is on this extreme rise, uh, ties to the, the Communist Chinese Party. But even short of that, what officials are also worried about, Harry, is that China, which is no hidden secret, the greatest uh, theft of of our intellectual property comes from China. Are many of these young men and women, single adults coming across, literally here to steal right from under our eyes our intellectual property? And the officials tell me behind closed doors off, off microphone, the answer is clearly yes. That migrant that we have been playing on Fox Uh, in interviews where I said, why are you here? He says, I'm here to take the money. I'm here for jobs. I went back like 30 minutes later when I wasn't uh, rolling camera. I said, by the way, you told me you want a job. What what kind of job do you want? And he said, computer job. And it really did click then that at the worst case scenario, they're a national security threat. In a best case scenario, they're still an intellectual property threat. To give our listeners, and this really, as you know, and you said it in so many words, and those just joining us, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show with the great Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent. And you've had the opportunity, I've heard you speak Spanish, I've heard you speak to all kinds of different people, different cultures, to give the Brian Kilmeade Show an opportunity, radio being the theater of the mind, to understand what's happening, what does Griff encounter uh, Eric, if you do the honors, play this wonderful montage of my friend Griff Jenkins at work. Where are you from? Uh, Guinea. So as you can see, a lot of uh, migrants here. This gentleman is from Cameroon. Cameroon. So where are you from? Georgia. Georgia. I'm from Colombia. Where are you from? From Syria. Why are you coming to the U.S.? Why come? Because we, uh, we love America and uh, we need... Uh, a nice style, a nice life. Yeah, coming uh, for jobs? Yeah, a nice job, a nice... Uh, because uh, our country uh, uh, very weird. Where are you guys from? Colombia. Colombia. Where are you from? My name is Colombia. Colombia. Brazil. I'm from Brazil. Brazil. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Where are you guys from? Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan. Where are you guys from? Brazil. So there you have it. Griff Jenkins and Bill Malusian, uh, who have done such a great job here. And here's another thing that I know you know all too well, but I want Brian's listeners to be really keyed in on this. Not only do they get here, and you mentioned the ones that are getting here that don't even need dry cleaning, uh, but they know where they want to go. They, you, you can ask them, and you have, uh, you know, where do you want to go? You know, they know they're in America. Where do you want to go? And they they call it out. This is this is predetermined, Griff. They've got plans, Harry, and that, you know, that 
a little uh, montage you put together really sums it up. Harry, it's like attending a United Nations conference because they're from all over the place, from Africa to Kazakhstan to Afghanistan to Syria to China to Peru to Ecuador, you name it. And in last month, the um, uh, or last week, rather, the week before I got there last week, the chief of the San Diego sector said that they had some 55 different countries. And it's just terribly uh, uh, alarming that, 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 that you have such a, a convergence there because of the very reason you mentioned, which is they've got somewhere to go. And they've got somewhere to go, Harry, because they know they're likely to be released. And when you look at that and, and you know, every day Bill Malusia and I go in there and say, look, these – you know, thousands of migrants are going to get released. When you do the full math, since President Biden has been in office, more than 7 million, 7 million migrants have been released in the U.S. And now you're hearing the administration say, well, you know, we're going to increase deportations. Yeah. To round up, and even President, former President Trump last night said that they're going to deport everybody that's crossed during the Biden years. That's 7 million. Harry, that is more people than the total population of Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, and North Dakota combined. Crazy. So if I told you I was going to get a bus, drive to those four states, round up every person in there, and put them on a plane and send them back, you'd laugh in my face because it's simply not going to happen. We figure it took them over three years to get here in total. How long would it take you to add in finding them, all the plans that would have to be done to to look and see, do they have a legitimate asylum claim? Are they truly going to get killed? Are they threatened, you know, to the extent that we can't let, you know, put them back out there to, to, to be murdered or worse? So how right, about this? Right, right. See, if, see if you are hearing this. In the past day or so, I have been hearing, and, and I'm very anxious – to get your take on this, and it's Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm hearing rumors that President Biden wants to reset his failed presidency at his upcoming State of the Union address, and that finally, actually, he may close what is, they wouldn't acknowledge it until President Biden finally said that there's been a problem and that there's been a crisis for over 10 years, even though they had Mayorka say the exact opposite. It's such a shame how dishonest they are about this. But do you think that because this election is eight months away, that they're going to try to finally get ahead of this thing or at least try to convince the because they're getting killed on it? I mean, Biden's poll numbers, as you know, Mm -hmm. only because of dishonest people. He's in like the 30 percentile in terms of approval on immigration. So do you sense that he will use the State of the Union address to try to change this narrative? Well, I wouldn't want to speak for the administration or get ahead of whatever their plans are. But I will say, yeah, I do uh, expect them to do something, not because Griff Jenkins and Bill Malusian and others have been shining a light on it on Fox News or the fact that every other media organization to include CNN, MSNBC News and you name it that have picked up and then since subsequently shown up in places like Eagle Pass to show 3000 a day coming across because it is a national security crisis amongst a humanitarian crisis. That's not why I expect them to respond and do this reset. I expect it because you do look at poll after poll after poll in the latest one you just cited. I believe it's the Siena poll shows it's 75 or 76 percent of Americans. Americans 
are uh, disapprove of the administration's handling of immigration in the border. And we know that every White House looks at polls and they say they don't care about polls. They care about nothing more than polls. And they are heading into a reelection. And I think there is a real sense uh, that the White House uh, is 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 showing their hand that they're worried, they're scared of this immigration yeah. issue, yeah. and they know they've got to do something. I think they saw Griff that when this was a big deal in Iowa and New Hampshire, places you don't think of as border states, but I think it's now readily apparent that every state now feels like a border state. New Jersey feels like a border state. Obviously, New York and New York City in particular. Final minute and a half. Yep. In terms of President Biden, when these migrants come to America, they feel that they have been invited by President Biden to come here, don't they? They do. And the ones that are surging now in California are going to find out that the welcome red welcome mat has been really rolled out because the entire state of California is a sanctuary state, meaning Mm -hmm. that the feds are the local law enforcement, state law enforcement does not cooperate with the feds. So they're protected. And as of January 1st of this year, they are qualified to receive free health insurance, Harry. I don't know what other roll, uh, red carpet you could roll out more other than, of course, here in New York City, they're debating giving them $10,000 debit cards. Hey, Griff, final 30 seconds, but I think this is important. Texas, obviously, with the razor wire, I've watched people try to get through that. It is It is really working, it seems. And that's why the government took them to court and they want the power to be able to cut it away. Does this now encourage California with what we see in the incredible, you said 500 percent spike uh, in in migrants coming? So if they can't get in through Texas and they can't get in through Arizona, they're going to get in where they can get in. Correct. That's right. And there are no indications. Governor Gavin Newsom in California is looking to put up any shipping containers or razor wires. But I'll tell you, the residents there in Hakumba, where I just spent a week, said they're awfully impressed with what Abbott did. And they hope Newsom will do the same. When we did, and we still have a little bit of time, we have about a minute. When we um, talked last time we visited about how people are paying and they're paying big money and the people that got them here, coyotes and these others that get them here, they stay in touch with them. They know other family members of theirs that might be in another country and so on and so forth. This is a big money, nasty racket, isn't it? It sure is, Harry. And in what's more terrifying is what we're seeing with the Chinese and these migrants from so far away. It's clear to officials that the cartels have set up a point-to-point travel agency, and they're able to extract money on the front end all the way to after they've crossed into the U.S., sometimes putting them to work to pay off their debt. I know we have to go, but one of the vivid memories I have, and it's like it says a thousand words in one picture, you have the one person that's just on the other side of the wall, and he just shrugs his shoulders, puts his hands, palms up, yeah. just like, hey, this is what I do. Look at me. I get it done. Griff, great to be with you. Hey, Harry, great to be with you and all of the listeners to the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show. It is a pleasure. That vivid memory or vision that I tried to paint over the radio airwaves of the Brian Kilmeade Show uh, is on the Fox News channel, and it is just so telling. We'll be back. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who I promise will be back very soon. Nikki Haley gave a 12 noon speech yesterday titled State of the Race, and people thought she was going to leave the race. I knew she wasn't leaving the race. Let's take a listen to that. Uh, Eric Cut 11. That's why I refuse to quit. South Carolina will vote on Saturday, but on Sunday, I'll still be running for president. I'm not going anywhere. And Nikki Haley also said something very, very interesting. If you pay close attention to it, Eric Cut 15. You know, my focus right now is running in a Republican primary. It always has been. I have never talked to the no labels people. That's not anything that I've been focused on. What I've been focused on is what we're going to do to change the course of what's happening in our country. Remember what someone says, but also remember what they do. Nikki Haley said, my focus right now. Wouldn't that be your only focus? We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in for Brian Kilmeade, the hardest working man in the television and radio industry, has the day off. Way to go, Brian. Brian will be back real soon. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline uh, is a great guest in this portion of our program, Roger Severino, Heritage Foundation Vice President of Domestic Policy, former Department of Justice Civil Rights Trial Attorney and Trump Office of Civil Rights Director. His handle on X, formerly Twitter, is at Roger Severino. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's a lowercase um, at the end of that, the, uh, the, the lowercase dash. Uh, Roger, welcome to Brian's program. Hey, glad to be on. And speaking of X, I'm in the middle of a Twitter debate with Mark Cuban on DEI. This is just amazing what's happening in this world today. It is so. amazing. It, tru- it truly is, Roger. Let's, let's start with, with one of them. Because I know that, you know, you did a lot of work within the Department of Justice, civil, you know, civil rights, and you were a civil rights trial attorney and, and all of that. Uh, we have a former president who has been charged with things that are so creative, I mean, that no one has ever been charged with in the history of the republic. I mean, it is, it is so thinly disguised as justice when it really is, is just hunting very, to me, very uh, – uh, Stalin henchman Beria, uh, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Uh, it's just, just wild to watch this unfold. What are your thoughts, Roger? Well, they're trying to break the man. It, yeah. it, it's just amazing what is going on here. And the unrelenting pressure, uh, It's you have to have sympathy because it is so unjust and it is so vindictive. Uh, and perhaps the worst part of all, it's an abuse of the rule of law designed to undermine democracy by trying to prevent President Trump from retaking the White House and depriving people of the opportunity even to vote for him. We saw the Colorado case, et cetera, these attempts to even just take him off the ballot. And if you can't take him off the ballot, let's put him in jail. And if we can't put him in jail, let's bankrupt him. 
And I mean, they're trying to destroy the man. Um, and it's just such an abuse. It, it's a, it's just so sad to see what's happening to our country, that the court system has been weaponized, the Department of Justice has been weaponized, local prosecutors have been weaponized, and all in, in the name of you know politics by other means. This is lawfare. I'm not dropping names, but I just want to give you some uh, spectrum of observation. I was interviewed by directly by President Trump. Uh, he, he liked me. He hired me. Uh, I worked with him for about two and a half years, a long time ago, right before we started a career that we've been blessed to do in radio for the past 31 years. I ran one of his hotels. I have uh, very, very personal knowledge as to the kind of person he is. And the reason I bring up that is so that you don't think I'm just pulling this out of the air. I've seen him handle stress. He was doing very, very um, you know, competitive things with Steve Wynn at the time when they were both casino titans. And other things, you know, he, he is just very equipped for some reason to be able to handle what most people could not bear. And I've often said almost anybody we could pick in this country at any level that would have one-tenth of what they have hit President Trump with, Jack Smith, Letitia James, Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis, the whole Batman's villain crowd, would be in a fetal position, sucking on their thumb, crying for mommy somehow president trump president trump can take it it's 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 it sounds gratuitous the comment but it's rather extraordinary isn't it roger well absolutely uh that sort of level of pressure who in the world has faced that level of straight-up persecution Uh, it's just hard to fathom how you could get back get back in the saddle and continue to run a presidential campaign to the point where He's leading in the polls uh, despite all this and perhaps because of it. I mean, I think the American people are, are realizing that the injustice of it, um, but the resilience, I mean, you raise a very good point. Very few people would be able to withstand this level of pressure, and he's been able to withstand it. And, you know, he still has a lot of support, um, but it does speak to resilience. Yes. Roger Severino on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I think what they miscalculated, and you touched on it briefly, but I think it's worth expanding on, Roger, is the people that did this. And I think everybody knows where it's coming from. The people that are doing these things, they didn't expect that every time he's charged, his poll numbers go up, his his fundraising goes up, and that their knocks have been a boost. Yeah, and it's the D.C. swamp trying to get rid of the, the one person who had challenged it when he was president for four years. And, you know, I served for four years under Trump. Uh, part of my job was being a regulator. And the swamp creatures came out in force <clears throat> to lobby me to try to get special favors and special handouts. And I resisted all of those uh, requests. And, and now you're seeing the swamp strike back, right? Anybody who upset the, the status quo, as Trump did, made a lot of enemies, and they're after him. They're after him in a way that they've gone after no other president uh, because he's going to he, – he did upset the status quo, and and it was for the better of the country, and the swamp fights back. And I think they also realize, Roger, that they have a very flawed candidate, if he can even be the candidate uh, going forward. It's, it's just getting worse by the day, it seems. Two trips up the uh, smaller, lower uh, staircase of Air Force One yesterday – 
the president did not go down, but tripped twice in a row in one in one swoop there. So they know they have a very flawed candidate uh, that's in, in grave jeopardy of being defeated. Uh, so they figure that the only play they can't stop Trump from getting the nomination he's going to get it is they have to destroy him. Well, and that's the saddest part about all of this is instead of letting the people decide, they're trying to make prosecutors and judges be the arbiters of who gets to be the next president of the United States. And that is just flatly un-American. And you, you mentioned Biden's lack of capacity. Now, there's a real question as to the 25th Amendment. Will yeah. his cabinet members say, you know what, enough is enough. He's got his finger on the button. Um, they get to see him up close. Right. And and are those questions being asked? I mean, there's a lot of evidence that those questions should be asked. Yes. And certainly the media said that about Trump uh, back in the day when his 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 uh, first term. And why are they silent about that now? So it remains to be seen if uh, the cabinet members will step up and do something about it. But the American people have noticed that President President Biden has been declining right before everybody's eyes. It, it just cannot be hidden anymore. And no. the special counsel in the report said he's a kind, elderly, old man, old man, and therefore, you know, we probably might lose that trial yeah, for yeah. him willfully retaining documents because the, the you know, jurors will say, hey, he's a kind old man. He, he didn't know what was going on. And yeah, and, it was, right and, and Roger, it was even worse than that because uh, the special counsel, Robert Herr, said about the president that he would be somebody that the jury would find sympathetic and that he has a very poor memory. So he basically made the case – that the president of the United States does not have the mental acuity to stand trial if he was criminally charged. That is that is that should be like a five alarm fire drill, because how can you be that, but also be well enough to be the leader of the free world, the president of the United States? And let me give you a um, item that I've been really looking into. And, and I know that you will have a, um, you know, a sound opinion on this. This administration has always made it a point to keep arm's distance, at least to the public, from the Department of Justice, that they, oh, the president never speaks to the the attorney general. Well, look, the attorney general reports to the president. There's nothing wrong with the president speaking to a member of his cabinet. It's what are you talking about? So they say they never put their finger on the scale. They never get involved with any case such as this. They say they never have been involved in anything involving Trump. Well, we now know they sent letters uh, to the Department of Justice. They wanted stuff taken out of of uh, special counsel Hur's report. Uh, they, they certainly get involved in these things. And I think they've been exposed there, Roger. Oh, yeah. The, the hypocrisy is clear, right? So they're already leaning on the special counsel to take things out of the report. And, yeah. and thankfully, he left it in there. And think back to the uh, Hunter Biden investigation, where the IRS was prohibited, the investigators prohibited from actually subpoenaing documents that were in Biden's house, President Biden's house. Uh, and they, and the two whistleblowers came forward and said that was pressure. We received outside pressure. We weren't allowed to do our jobs. And thank God for those whistleblowers who came forward and said, look, this was political. These raised all the red flags. We were yep. giving Hunter Biden special treatment, right? Absolutely. We, they let the statute of limitations lapse. They let yeah. charges drop um, because it could have been linked to Biden. That, that's that's the thing that 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 needs to be said. Um, that 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 smoke of you know Biden would have benefited if he were investigated. If he investigated his son, 
Uh, and these whistleblowers said, nope, you guys were forcing us to do something that we normally don't do. And the only explanation is the name Biden was attached. And look how, I mean, you're right. Uh, some of those big tax allegations they purposely let. There's no, and then that guy gets to become, you know, a special counsel, the same guy that, that wanted to give the, the most incredible sweetheart deal in American history, probably, because it also had something that going forward you couldn't even charge someone. And we're speaking about Hunter Biden there. Uh, so I, I agree. David Weiss, um, I, I didn't really care for it when he became the special counsel because he was the same guy that let all those other things go bye bye and wither on the vine on purpose. And then now suddenly, you know, he's the independent counsel, the special counsel that's going to make it happen here. So I, I don't trust him a little bit. But what's going to be interesting about all this is they've taken the position, if you take the Nancy Pelosi doctrine of uh, President Trump deserves his day in court to prove his innocence, that's a quote. That's not that's not me paraphrasing or making it up. And you, with all of the civil rights experience that you have uh, and, and legal experience that you have, that's the exact opposite. You, this is a country where... They, you don't have to say a damn thing if you don't want to. They have to prove you are guilty. You don't have to prove that you are innocent. No, that's exactly right. Right. The, the, the DOJ has tremendous power to ruin people's lives. I was in DOJ in the Civil Rights Division. And if we came knocking on your door, it's going to be a bad day for you. Yep. Um, no matter if you're innocent or not, it, it's just the stress levels go through the roof. And we have to always presume innocence. Uh, and it's clear here that... They don't care about the facts, those that are persecuting President Trump. They wanted to go after him any which way. And the the process and the pain is the point, right? It, they've, they've been losing cases against them, and some of them they've won in, in some very uh, liberal jurisdictions with liberal judges. Yeah. But either way it goes, dragging them through case after case after case, making them pay for it and pay for all the lawyers and the stress and the depositions and the testimony – is designed to wear him down, and as I mentioned earlier, to try to break him. And it, it, it's turned Kafka-esque, where you have the process becoming the punishment, um, all in the names of pure, pure rank politics. None of this would be happening if he were, were not in such a prime position to retake the presidency. Um, they're doing this because, again, the swamp has risen up because uh, they're afraid of what might happen if he wins. Yep. And and that that's just not no way to, to run a Department of Justice or the court system, it, it just flips everything on its head. It should be equal justice under the law, and there should be actual evidence seriously of crimes, and you shouldn't have prosecutors that have conflicts of interest that are doing, going on love trysts, potentially on taxpayer dollars, yep. um, and then prosecuting the Hey, president. by the way, That's Roger, do you think that that yep. Judge McAfee will, will knock out uh, Fonnie Willis and uh, Messer uh, yeah. Wade? I, I think the odds are good, given that it was a pretty extensive hearing. Fonnie Williams did not, I think, carry herself well. No. Uh, it's just the whole thing stinks to high heaven because now you have the the reasonable inference that she was going after Trump and hired her lover, uh, who was getting paid to do it, and they were going on all these wonderful trips together, and she was reimbursing him in cash from, what, her mattress? It, yeah. it, it, it all exactly it yeah, all cash because that's what bad. everybody does. Everybody does cash that you can't trace. It was uh, Matthew Whitaker that said recently publicly that uh, that that is what criminals do. The the cash angle that both Wade and um, Fonnie Willis did. Final thirty seconds. 
this incredible, incredulous 364 million, and you throw the interest in there, 450 million, you know, just keep going, add zeros, Judge Angeron. I have to believe in my heart of hearts. I don't know how, because it maybe can't happen in New York. Maybe it has to happen at the highest level. But that has to be reversed, doesn't it? Quick answer. It should be. If there's justice, it will be. There were no victims in this case. No, no bank was defrauded of anything because they were paid back every single penny. And, in fact, this 350-plus million goes to the state of New York. No, I mean, if you have no victims here, nobody hurt, this is an outrageous judgment meant to break Trump, and it should be reversed. We have been visiting with Roger Severino on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Roger, great to visit with you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. We're going to be right back. Much more important content straight ahead because this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to Brian's program. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric. Harry Hurley filling you today for the great Brian Kilmeade. James Biden has arrived to Capitol Hill. This is probably going to be a tough day because you have one half that will be doing everything they can to block. That would be the Democrats. And then you will have the Republican members that will be trying to get to the truth about Biden, Inc. Uh, Well, my big question from second one of all this is what did the Biden family do to get this money that they got. that That's such a basic question. You know, if you make widgets and you sell widgets, well, good. You build them, you make them, you sell them. You build cars, you build houses. What what did they sell? Tony Bobulinski will tell you they sold influence. They sold Joe Biden. Let's listen to uh, Jonathan Hurley, uh, Jonathan Turley. I'm Hurley. Jonathan Turley on Hannity, uh, because this is very interesting as well. Uh, Eric cut 28. There were plenty of articles as to this open influence peddling. His brother didn't even try to make this subtle. I mean, he actually uh, really sort of hearkened uh, uh, his connections to his brother, his ability to uh, use that name uh, on his official uh, pitches. And so President Biden had to know that his son and his brother were influence peddling. And you've got to stop and ask yourself, then, what does that mean? Right. Influence peddling is corrupt. Right. It's, it's a form of corruption. The United States government has opposed internationally. Jonathan Turley, who's one of the most even hands that you will find. He is objective when something he thinks doesn't favor President Trump, like the total immunity, blanket immunity claim. Jonathan Turley comes out and says, I don't think that's going to work. He says things like, I think that uh, justices will have questions about that. And then when he sees something like this uh, unseemly 364 million plus uh, verdict, he, he speaks truth to that. When we come back, we'll be joined by Brooke Goldstein, the Lawfare Project founder, and we've got some very, very important content that we'll be sharing coming up next on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for Brian, who is the hardest working man in our business. Certainly deserves the day off, and he'll be back real soon. This is going to be time so well spent on The Brian Kilmeade Show because until those three lofty university Hoity presidents exposed for all to see how incredible the issue of anti-Semitism in our country and around the world, for that matter, really is. I think it took that kind of outrageousness of three lofty university presidents. We're talking Harvard, MIT, University of Pennsylvania. I mean, lofty institutions allegedly, of higher learning, where they couldn't answer a simple question, that if Hamas exterminates 1,200 Jews, is that against your code? Oh, well, context, it it takes context, you see. Oh, really? So I think they did more in five minutes than people have tried to do for hundreds of years, because this this problem is not new. The Lawfare Project, to just give you a little bit of a background, it's an American nonprofit think tank. They do great work. They protect the human and civil rights of Jewish and pro-Israel communities worldwide. They have an incredible part uh, in today's discussion and the exposure of this rampant anti-Semitism. And the founder of the Lawfare Project, Brooke Goldstein, joins the Brian Kilmeade Show now. Brooke, it's an honor to present you. I meant every word I said, and we're going to have a great discussion. It begins right here and right now. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Harry. It's really great to be with you this morning, and I'm so grateful to you for helping to expose this issue of Jew hatred on our college campuses. I I, I appreciate that comment so much, and I also want to say to you that I really think it took the uh, Liz McGill and who's the other one? Sally Cornbluth uh, and um, Claudine Tony Gay. I, yeah, I think oh, it. Yeah. Oh, oh, at least Stefanik, superhero. She, she got she she pinned him down. Exactly. She got him. Uh, it, it was you know she just was amazing in her cross examination of these three. You would think that would have been a softball, a meatball question that you would have been able to say. Well, of course that's against our standard of conduct. Of course it is. They couldn't. What is it, Brooke, that this anti-Semitism runs so deep? They they were paralyzed. They didn't know what one plus one equals two. They didn't they didn't know how to answer that question. Correct. And and as Elise Stefanik said herself, it was the easiest question to answer yes to. The question was, is the calling for the genocide of Jewish people, a violation of of the student code? Of course it is. And yet these university presidents disgustingly answered, well, it depends on the context. You know, I think the follow-up question should have been, okay, under what context is it acceptable on your campus to call for the death of Jewish students? Um, I think what what the congressional hearing did, it was was a watershed moment. It was... Not many people know this. It was it was the most watched congressional hearing in American history. Wow. But people have woken up. Um, and I think the most important takeaway is that the anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism 
anti-Semitism that is rising on, on U.S. college campuses, it's not just a Jewish issue. This is a national security threat. Yes. The fact that the majority of our youth have been radicalized and indoctrinated and most often with foreign funding coming from states like Qatar, the second largest sponsor of terrorism, to be pro-terror. This is a national security threat of the highest order. We are visiting with Brooke Goldstein, the Lawfare Project founder. They are doing profound work, important work. I, I, I hate, I just really dislike that the three of these university presidents said what they said, but did they not do an incredible service that couldn't have been done had they answered that question easily and correctly? Well, I hate to give them that credit, um, but I really think the credit is due to the Jewish students and professors that are standing up in the face of an extremely hostile environment, literally pro-Hamas mobs blocking access to classrooms, verbal attacks, physical attacks. One of the Jewish students at Columbia University, which we are suing, by the way, we just launched a major groundbreaking lawsuit against Columbia University. One of the students there, the Jewish students, was attacked and his hand was broken. There was a uh, very viral video going around by a professor named Shai Davidai at Columbia University saying on the quad that he cannot guarantee the physical safety of Jewish students on campus. And the real heroes right now are those young Jewish students who are signing on and becoming plaintiffs in civil rights cases against these universities. And we are very proud at the Lawfare Project to represent these students. Uh, one of them, for example, is Mackenzie Forrest, who is a student at Columbia University, who had her uh, rights violated. She was forced out of a program. She was given a hard time for her religious accommodation. She was denied the ability to attend classes on Zoom, even though the school admitted that she was physically unsafe on campus. And together we have filed a lawsuit against Columbia University demanding there be injunctive and remedial relief, demanding that this school enforce its own code, that it cures this system of racism that infects the school at the highest levels, and at the very least punish or fire the faculty and the administration that is responsible for this. Fox News, and if you go to foxnews.com, you'll see some excellent coverage on this Columbia University situation, and you'll see words like devolving into the, quote, cauldron of anti-Semitism. And those just joining the program, it's Brian. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Brooke Goldstein, who is the founder of the Lawfare Project. I, I haven't heard the definitive answer, and maybe it's elusive uh, and, and it can't be, you know, baked into a 30-second or 60-second type comment. But what is it about this anti-Semitism that I know that many disagreed until these three university presidents uh, made it perfectly clear when they could not answer the most simple basic question because it it proved the whole point right there. But what is it about this anti-Semitism that it is alive and not so well? Well, we know from history that Jew hatred comes and goes, you know, and ebbs and flows. And and right now, a period of rising anti-Semitism. 
And as the daughter, sorry, the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, I honestly never thought I'd see the day where uh, college campuses in the United States are being weaponized and the media is being weaponized against the Jewish people. And I have to admit that I think we've made a mistake. Uh, my community has defined their advocacy always as pro-Israel advocacy, which gives people an excuse to say, well, this is a political issue. And they project their hatred of a foreign government on Jewish Americans because of where they're born or what they look like or what, what you know, their religious observances. That's racist. And when we respond to anti-Jewish discrimination with pro-Israel advocacy. We're giving them an affirmative defense. Yeah. This is a civil rights issue. This is not a political issue. The Jewish community is the oldest, most persecuted minority community in human history. And we are in the age of minority rights movements, and it's high time that the Jewish community receives parity. We are visiting with Brooke Goldstein, the founder of the Lawfare Project, on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to follow up on that because obviously we know that towards the end of the first week of October, 1,200 Israeli citizens were massacred by Hamas terrorists. And ever since, the, the position of our own government has been to ask Israel to cease fire, to give their enemy that wants them extinguished from the face of the earth an opportunity to you know reload that's that's all that a uh, a ceasefire will do because Hamas will not fo- follow it as you know uh Brooke they didn't follow the last one they violated it within hours so i i'm so against this um pressure being brought to bear by our own government by the world entities that that vote and say that Israel is somehow the bad guy here. Uh, This is crazy. What are your thoughts about that? And also any conditioning or conditions placed upon aid? Take it away. Yeah, how is it that the so-called humanitarian aid, which everybody knows is going straight to Hamas? That's right. It's not going to the Palestinian Muslim people. How how is it there are no conditions on the, the millions of dollars of humanitarian aid flowing to Hamas, the resupply of Hamas, there's zero conditions on it, not even that they should release the hostages. And yet as Israel fights a defensive war after it was attacked, after women and children were slaughtered and burned alive, and they then go in and do what they should have done years ago, which is defeat Hamas, Israel is then Uh, targeted with with a campaign to demonize it as it battles, you know, on a battlefield of asymmetric warfare. We're we're talking about a terrorist group that uses its own children as child soldiers, as human shields, that uses hospitals as its headquarters, that fires rockets from children's schools. The goal of Hamas is to maximize civilian casualties and the world is rewarding this terrorist group by then you know inverting the laws of cause and effect and blaming israel for the civilian casualties when israel is risking the lives of its own soldiers to save the lives of its enemies civilians and that is the cold hard truth and i want to make one more point 
two-thirds of American Jews feel unsafe in America. That's over 4 million people, wow. and it's unacceptable. It is so striking and how underreported anti-Semitism is. And, and it's paramount that we push back between the, the false linkage, linkage between anti-Semitism and, and Islamophobia. Okay, Nobody is marching on campus calling for the genocide of Muslims. They are calling for the murder of Jews. And this continued insistence on, leaking the, on linking the two is, is the ultimate gaslighting. You know, it, from a social justice perspective, it, it delegitimizes the very unique trauma the unprecedented rise in Jew hatred and the unique trauma that the Jewish people have suffered over centuries because of continued genocide. Your strength of purpose is so, um, so important. Brooke Goldstein, the founder of the Lawfare Project, visiting on the Brian Kilmeade show. You know, you touched on something. We're supposed to be the United States of America, the freest, safest nation on planet Earth. Two thirds of American Jews feeling unsafe is beyond a catastrophe, Brooke. Yes, it is. And I'm, I'm so grateful to you uh, for highlighting this issue. And I think what is also a catastrophe is how the U.S. government, the DOJ, the FBI, the Department of Education have turned a blind eye to the radicalization on our campuses, not just anti Israel or anti-Jewish, but anti-American radicalization on our campuses that, as I mentioned earlier, is being funded in large part by Qatar. Qatar, which yeah. funds Hamas, by the way, is the one of the largest funders of our college campuses. They spend $1 billion a year, every year, for at least the last 10 years, giving grants to schools like Carnegie Mellon University, which we also sued a couple weeks ago on behalf of a Jewish student, and it has fostered and, and allowed the school to tolerate this pervasive, systemic, uh, hostile environment that intentionally victimizes Jewish students because they are Jewish. It is a very cruel campaign, and unless there is a major course corrector, which I hope that this Congressional Committee on Anti-Semitism has started, unless there is a major course corrector in this country, and unless there, uh, we close the loopholes that allow this un, you know, unhindered flow of foreign money, um, the United States of America is not going to look the same in the very near future. And I know we have to go in about a minute, but I want to get this in because I think it's so important. I can't imagine – I mean, we would never, ever take some country uh, coaching us to say that we need to uh, peacefully coexist with Osama bin Laden or pick your terrorist. But yet our country, this government, this particular presidency and, and such, the apparatchik, they, they want Israel – to somehow welcome the two-state solution when the other side are terrorists that want them exterminated from the face of the earth. Final 30 seconds, closing comment. Look, the Palestinians must take responsibility for their own failure. Yep. In 2005, Israel pulled every single last man, woman, and child out of Gaza. I thought what the world was doing is this project of building this Palestinian state. But what they really built 
was a Palestinian Islamic state, the state of Hamas, a terrorist state. And the responsibility lies solely on the Muslim community. Brooke, uh, an honor to present you, and I mean that. that. That's just a word, but it's an honor to present you. Keep up the important work that you and your organization are doing at the Lawfare Project, and great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We'll be right back. Much more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley filling in today. For the great Brian Kilmeade, who has certainly earned the day off, I refer to Brian as the hardest working man in television, radio, and of course, he's a New York Times bestseller on top of that and does a lot of great projects. Let me take this moment to remind you, if you haven't been to one of Brian's live shows, I've been to two, and they are fantastic. I I don't say that. I would say it in friendship, but I am saying it in truth. So if you go to BrianKillMead.com, you can see the upcoming schedule, and it will be Brian, and it will be what I call the Brian Kilmead players. And they are very dear, lifelong friends, Dateline, Massapequa, Long Island. They went to school together, and they put this show on that is truly masterclass. It is entertaining. It is historically accurate. And the time goes by in the blink of an eye, and then you can purchase Brian's book and get the book played and get Brian to sign it and personalize it. He does the meet and greet. He has the special uh, time before the show with the VIP if you buy the VIP ticket. All this information and the whole Brian Kilmeade catalog of wonderful books. America's historian for this generation is Brian Kilmeade at briankilmeade.com. Much more straight ahead, for this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for the great Brian Kilmeade which has earned Brian and the Brian Kilmeade Show, they've earned their place on the Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America today. And I'll back it up. Talkers Magazine, which has been around for almost 40 years, places Brian as the third most important radio talk show host in America. It's an incredible accomplishment, and and it's it's a credit to Brian and Allison and Pete and Eric, the entire team, certainly to this incredible audience throughout the country, uh, that, that, uh, that that is where you find yourself. This is such an incredibly relevant program. You can follow Brian at briankillmead.com and thebriankillmeadshow.com. Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author. And the whole catalog, the whole library of Brian Kilmead historical books are all incredible. And I've said that Brian is the America's historian. He is doing it and doing it so very well. All of that, you can get get your books autographed. They make great personal gifts, gifts that you can to give to to loved ones and friends. Uh, Really great 
library to choose from, such as the President and the Freedom Fighter, and you can get the hardback edition, first edition, and you can also get the um, now available paperback edition, which not only is it a, a paperback edition, which makes it different than the hardback initial uh, first version, uh, first edition, but also there's additional new content in the paperback edition that Brian has added. That's all at briankillme.com along with Teddy and Booker T. Brian's latest book, Catch Brian, of course, weekdays on Fox and Friends and Saturday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. All right, I am going to prime the phone line pump right here, right now, because you are going to want to participate. This could be the determinative issue of decision 2024, who will be the next president. Not who should win, who the polls say will win, but who does the better job in an area that I'm going to outline in just a moment, but I'm going to encourage you now. Call 866-408-7669 because I and the team, we want to take your phone calls. 866-408-7669. And this is the topic this half hour on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you look at Decision 2020, 40,000, thereabouts, don't quote me on the exact number, but somewhere between 40,000, 45,000 votes over a handful of states decided whether Joe Biden would become the 46th president of the United States or if President Trump would be reelected to a second term. That's how close the election was. Now, if you roll back the Wayback Machine and Brian Kilmeade, then and now, one of the most important voices in America during the time of an all-vote-by-mail election that had never happened in American history, It's always been about one person, one vote, one election day, and everybody comes out, and whoever dies with the most toys wins, and it's over. And we always knew that night before midnight, with rare exception, who the next president of the United States would be. Now we know we have not voting day. We no longer have general election day. We have voting season, where in some states it's weeks and weeks of early voting. Uh, In some states, New Jersey, for example, it's less than two weeks, but about 10 days. And so it's a whole different ballgame now. In the early days of trying to garner votes that could make the difference, what you had what were Democrats that I can't say they perfected, but they did a pretty good job beating Republicans, you know, cleaning their clocks with the write-in ballots, or rather the vote-by-mail then called absentee ballots. So if your adult child was at college uh, or you were on vacation, you know, there were certain ways you couldn't do it for any reason. Like if you were home and you were well, you didn't vote by absentee ballot. You came out on Election Day. But Democrats did a good job. And the key to these ballots, they're super ballots, because they are from people who otherwise would not have voted. You don't want to bring your vote out that would have come out on Election Day and just have them vote early. It's nice to know that you did get their vote just in case something came up. Their child got sick. They got sick and they didn't vote. Now, you know, you have the vote because you got it early. So Democrats did a pretty good job. And in close elections, the absentee ballots would be the difference. Then that was tweaked and they saw, wow, we can do something with this. And this was mostly Democrat jurisdictions. But a lot of these things then catch on nationwide. 
Because remember, we don't have one national election. We have 50 individual state elections. And our founders wanted it to be that way. They did not want to nationalize it, even though, of course, because of instant communication and everything that we have now, the info superhighway, digital everything, it is now the, the appearance of a national election. But it is supposed to be 50 elections, and one state votes this way. We have a state now that votes all by computer now. Uh, and someday it's going to be scary, but you're going to see it's going to be voting by text message. So Democrats in the next iteration got good with the vote by mail. Then they picked up ballot harvesting. And then the full-blown, you know, Monty was the election of 2020 using the emergency of COVID-19, created a, a all-vote-by-mail election in many, if not most states. state of New Jersey was one of them. Governor Murphy had it. It was set up to be an all-vote-by-mail election. Now, what we've seen, Florida is an exception, but remember, Florida had a head start. People don't forget but don't associate the fact that the 2000 election was a disaster in Florida. The Palm Beach butterfly ballot, that basically won the presidency for George W. Bush. Even Pat Buchanan admitted that, that this was not correct. This is not the way the people intended to vote, but the ballot was confusing. So George W. Bush wins Florida by whatever it was, 500 and some votes. Florida completely cleans up their system, and they're really a model for the country because they, because they counted millions upon millions of ballots, the early voting. Why do these states wait for weeks after the election to count the early voting? Count it before Election Day. Don't reveal the results if you don't want to, but count them. So Florida, millions of votes. We knew who won. The media, for some reason, most media waited to call Florida, but it was over really by 9 o'clock, if not sooner. And sometime 10, 11 o'clock hour, Florida was called for President Trump because they're able to do it right there. But they had a two-decade head start on many of the other states. So other states have to catch up. And what Republicans have to catch up and do, and there's no mistaking this, even if it's distasteful to you, even if you believe it's one election day, one vote, I don't like early voting, I don't want to vote by mail, whatever your personal opinion is on this, you have to at least reconcile, and smart people have, Newt Gingrich and others, and we'll hear from them before the uh, end of the segment, that the Democrats are winning. I've seen and you have seen elections won before Election Day even happens. Jack Cittarelli in New Jersey could have been governor, but Phil Murphy beat him in the early voting, in the vote by mail, and all the things that we're talking about. Early voting. Chitterelli won on Election Day. He lost before Election Day. He's running again next year, and he says that's not going to happen again. I'm a Republican, so I will say we. We have to do better. We have to embrace the fact that this is not changing either ever or anytime soon. And we and I've heard Brian speak about this. Brian and I are on the same page completely on this issue, that it's crazy and Brian uses that phrase, it's crazy to let the Democrats get that big head start that you're spending all day and night trying to catch up on one election day. Let's hear what you have to say, then we'll share some of the audio as time permits. Jason is in Galveston, Texas. Jason, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, all right. Hey, I appreciate it. I've been I've been trying to get this out since uh, it, I live in Texas now, and I lived in Arizona all my life before um, as a teenager, and I'm 47 now. And when that lady uh, lost that lost that race in Arizona, oh, and, and totally totally winnable, Jason. Totally right, right, winnable. Uh, this this is it. You got people have to hear this out. Um, fraud and what came to my mind is i mean life went on and i forgot all about this but in 1996 i when my introduction into the healthcare field i watched a social worker grab an incoherent patient's hand and signed voting ballots and and i was like i, I pretended like i didn't see it and i seen her walking down the hall i said hey what are you doing she's like oh just getting votes and i thought nothing of it because at the time i was 17 so i don't know anything about that kind of stuff right well and i do know that that they can get votes by, you know, illegal proxy, you know, by these patients. They're incoherent or they've lost their ability to take care of themselves. Well, they still get a voting. Well, they get a, right a ballot and then they have what's called a messenger and that's called a messenger ballot. And Jason, that ballot gets cast. Let me bring it home to you, to your home state of Texas in the year 2024. Democrats are desperately trying. That's the why this border, the Biden border policy is wide open. They're trying to flip Texas to become a blue Democrat state at the earliest possible time because they realize that it will become next to impossible for a Republican to win the presidency in the Electoral College uh, if Texas votes for the Democratic nominee. And as you know, I think you know this because I can tell you're an informed guy. Early voting began for your primary election, early voting began earlier this week. They're voting already. So that's what's going on right now. They're trying to flip red states blue. They're changing the way that we vote. I never got into the machines and all this stupid stuff, uh, Rudy and um, the others talking about we're going to release the Kraken. Here, here was the Kraken. Democrats cleaned Republicans' clocks in early voting, vote by mail, and ballot harvesting. It's distasteful to Republicans. And Jason, I thank you for your call. We're going to move on to the next caller who I know it's distasteful to. Uh, and it's distasteful to me as well. But how, how much more distasteful is losing when you should win? The Senate should have flipped in the midterm election. It did not. The House was barely flipped because there were districts that never should have gone the way that they did. But because Republicans got beat with vote by mail, ballot harvesting and all of this, it is something that Republicans have to embrace. I mean, in the legal way, nothing illegal. Rob is in Virginia. Your thoughts, Rob. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade show. Thank you for taking my call. I agree. Um, I don't like it. But when you're losing the war, if the generals refuse to change the strategy and adapt what the other side is doing and use it against them, they're going to lose. They don't. They run their campaigns like they did 20 or 30 years ago. They don't connect with younger people. You don't see them on Twitter. They don't use social media. And they, they claim to be aloof and hold themselves above it all, but they're losing the bar fight. Uh, and I'd rather have a hobnailed redneck on my side than one of these wishy-washy, starch-collar Republicans when they say, well, we can't do that because we're better than our Democrats, and my answer is no, 
you're getting whooped by the Democrats. You are not better than the Democrats. Well, yeah, you're getting you're getting beat before Election Day itself, and that's unacceptable. Rob, thank you for the call. We're going to take more of your phone calls on the other side of the break. Also, let you take a listen to a speaker, former Speaker of the House, that actually had a plan to take back the House of Representatives at the time for the first time in 40 years, 4-0, 40 years, and what he has to say about what Democrats have been doing and what Republicans have not been doing. We'll be right back with more of your calls. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, And I think we have to start with two different sides. One is Republicans have to get into the game of getting people to vote very early, getting them to go to the polls, but vote by mail, do whatever. But I was very disappointed in the New York special election where clearly the Republican National Committee's uh, bank the vote effort had failed totally. So if you're not in the game, if you're not even trying, you shouldn't expect to win. Could not agree more. And I, I don't want to agree with this early voting stuff and with this vote by mail. But you cannot let your opposition have a, a high occupancy vehicle lane while you are stuck in New York City, you know, rush hour traffic. You, you can't have it. There's no way to compete. And I know it's hey, look. If you say, hey, it's, I'm a principled person. This is what I believe. I don't want I don't like this. I don't want this. Just keep then uh, enjoying losing because that's what it comes down to. The rules have been changed and only one side is maximizing the new rule changes. Jane is in upstate New York listening to the Brian Kilmeade show. Jane, welcome. You are on the air. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you. Hi. Uh, Hi. You know, one of the biggest problems, I'm a retired abuse counselor. The left uses fear and anger to control people. Mm -hmm. That's age old. I have last in the 2020 election, I received seven mail-in ballots on my front door to mail back. This year, I and, and when I went to vote, they suddenly, ooh, surprise, surprise, had me down as a Democrat. I said, wow. well, no, I'm not. They said, okay, well, we'll change it. It never was changed until after the election. This year, I am receiving mail-in ballot after, one after another to, quotes recruit Christian voters. They want at least $9,530,000 a month in order to win the race. Oh, Yeah, wonderful. and I, I'm sorry, but... I cannot buy into that. I can't sit back and let people control with fear and anger and just push and push and push. Yeah. We and have and to- fear, anger, and to divide us. That's also the Democratic playbook. Jane, thank you for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Really appreciate your view. I understand when multiple written ballots arrive, it does not inspire confidence. In other words, where do these ballots go? You didn't use them in your case, but some people are voting more than one when they can. It's it's very troubling. I understand it. But Democrats are doing it, uh, as President Trump would say, bigly, 
and Republicans are losing before Election Day itself. Real quick, we've got a minute. We can get Chad in in St. Louis. Chad, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, how you doing? Uh, great show. Thank you. A couple of things here. Uh, I think we should uh, equal everything the Democrats do. Yeah. But also, uh, I've never been to a Trump rally. Uh, does he, uh, you know, I think he should focus on the states that uh, is going to decide the primary. Uh, but when you have those rallies, does he encourage them to uh, vote early? Uh, or even have a contest like, hey, uh, you, if you guys have already voted, uh, put your you know, your ballots, uh, uh, I, I, we have a system going along to collect them, and I'm going to put a hat, put put all you guys in a hat, and I'm going to uh, basically meet you guys afterwards. Carl, yeah. thank you. Thank you for the call. And let me share with you that last night on the Fox News Channel, Laura Ingram, South Carolina Town Hall, President Trump did discuss what you're talking about and understands that Republicans have to get into this. It is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for the great Brian Kilmeade, who has earned the day off. Believe me, he has earned the day off, and he'll be back real soon. All right, I need you this hour, this half hour, please. You're going to want to participate with this topic that we're going to do with producer Pete. 866-408-7669. Call us now on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 866-408-7669. Here's why. Let's turn the politics off for a little bit. It's not going anywhere. All the bad stuff, I promise you, is not going anywhere. Let's call it a mental health break, although I know this is going to trigger some, and I don't mean to. Producer Pete and I will take positions on whether... Taylor Swift should be awarded a Kansas City Chiefs NFL Super Bowl 58 championship ring. Now, I know some of you just threw up in your mouth a little bit, but hear me out. I'm going to make the case, although I've never said anything like this about anyone that's not officially a part of a professional franchise, that you should get a championship ring. But I do believe that everyone that is officially a part should. That's everyone in the organization. And they do that. They're true to that. From October through December of last year, in the run-up to the playoffs and to the to the Super Bowl 58, Tay-Tay was responsible. That's what Travis calls her, Travis Kelsey. Tay-Tay was responsible for more than $340 million dollars in economic spend, on merch, on bringing people into the NFL. People who've never watched an NFL football game got into the love story of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Now, early on, there were people saying she is just a jinx and she's they're losing and all this. Taylor Swift has a 10-3 and record, if I've counted correctly, of games that she attended since her and Travis Kelsey, I'm, yeah, Travis Kelsey, because I'm, I'm an Eagle fan. There's Jason Kelsey. Uh, her and Travis Kelsey, since October, when they came out publicly about their relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend, Taylor Swift has a 10-3 and record. 
They've introduced new merch. You've got all this new stuff that's never been, you know, out there for for women to get involved. A lot more women tuned in. And uh, let me just play one clip before we welcome producer Pete. Andy Reid knew Taylor Swift before Travis Kelsey. Cut 37, Eric. I'm a big fan, so I'm, I'm glad she was here, and I hope she enjoyed it. Um, so she's she's got a great guy she's you know dating right now. So I'm I'm happy for both of them. And does she want does does uh, Big Red, my former head coach Andy Reid, who's making a case to be the goat, greatest of all time, uh, does Andy Reid want her to stay? Does he want her to go? Uh, Cup thirty eight. Kelsey keeps getting better with time. Um, um, Taylor can stay around all she wants. Okay, so there you have it for that. Now, producer Pete, I could go on and on about why Taylor Swift. And I know if you, it, traditional NFL fans are just going crazy about this, but I can make the case that Taylor Swift, because of her contributions to the NFL at large and the Kansas City Chiefs in particular, economically and otherwise. The whole storyline, the whole bit, all of it, her wearing the merch that she does, all the eyeballs that never have been on the NFL, that Taylor Swift deserves a Kansas City Chiefs championship ring. What say you? I would go one step further, not just a championship ring, because of the multi-million dollars that she's brought in and the fan and the eyeballs she gets on. How about ring of honor because she's because she is so interwoven she's part of them winning back-to-back super bowls for the first time in over a decade think about that think about the synergy that she that she's helped create between fans and the league how many first-time viewers because all leagues want to grow because you have your set viewers you have those people but now you're growing it you're bringing a younger fan base into the league they're tuning in. Even if they don't know all the rules just yet, well, guess what? They're going to want to learn now what the rules are. They're going to be more active. You're going to bring in generations of fans, maybe even a position as a fan outreach officially with the National Football League, too, to help uh, bring in more of those fans and keep those fans, not just as a, uh, a fed. It's a great comment. And, you know, I, I, I've thought about this and spoken about it a little bit. Nobody ever went bananas over every time that Jack Nicholson was at a Lakers game, which was every home game for decades and decades and decades. He was celebrated. The camera was on him all the time. Spike Lee at a New York Knicks game. No problem. Nobody goes crazy. They go nuts about Taylor. Oh, stop showing her. Stop showing her. So here's what I knew, and you knew it, Pete. And Eric, you knew it. And and we talked about it in our pre-show meeting. There are people that don't like this a little bit, and we're going to go to the Peach State. I think Zena is one of them. Zena, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You don't like this idea that we're pitching about Taylor Swift getting a Super Bowl ring, do you? Well, if you're going to give Taylor Swift a Super Bowl ring, don't forget the Dallas Cowboys have the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders that help put us on the uh, on the map. So I don't remember them ever being offered a Super Bowl ring. Good knows. Well, Zena, Zena, let let me ask you this, though. Could you name one of them by name and everybody on the planet knows who billionaire Taylor Swift is? Because she flew in on her private plane 
from uh, from far over the international dateline to make it to Super Bowl 58. I bet you you can't. I'm not a gambling man, Zena. I bet you you can't name one Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Now, collectively, I would give them big kudos for their great work and their support and everything, their precision. And they, let's be honest, they look great, too. Uh, but Taylor Swift is a different category, I think, Zena. I absolutely disagree with that. Because and that's why, and Zena, thank you for calling Brian's program. And that's why this is the greatest country on planet Earth. There you go. I agree. Christopher is in Indiana. Then we'll get producer Pete to give us the next Pearl of Wisdom. Christopher, thank you for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're on the air. Yes, hello. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so so ring or I no agree. ring? Yeah, I, I, I can't say I agree with giving Taylor Swift a ring. Um, and this comes from the position of I'm a former Marine, and that's almost like – giving Marines wives the whole title of once a Marine, always a Marine, you know? Wow. I mean, and, I, I, I and by the way, as you know, you're, you're not, position. Christopher, you're not a former Marine. You're a Marine. Exactly. You know, exactly. And that's my point. You know, I mean, these guys did all the training, the exercise and everything they did to earn this ring. And that's, that's for them to have, you know, they, they earned it. That's the reward. Christopher, give me a shot at this, though. And I'm not trying – I'm not going to make you believe what you don't believe and, and sell you. But a, a sure. Marine spouse, greatest support for her husband, no question, great American, great Absolutely. for the military, and all the reasons that you know better than I. I'm just somebody that's just blabbing. But I will say this about that. Taylor Swift actually delivered – to the brand. I mean, I mentioned they've done a P&L on this, Christopher. She has delivered hundreds of millions of dollars in a relatively short period of time and brought eyeballs and earballs to the NFL, particularly young girls and young women and older women because her crossover appeal is through the generations. That's the whole reason it's the Eras Tour because it's over uh, almost two decades now of her body of work. So I would say she has and I'll put it in a, in a military term that you'll appreciate, she has materially sure. contributed to the mission. Right. So, but how much of that is passive and just because her name is, is somewhere, right? You know, I mean, well, she's how, wearing, how but that... Christopher, she's wearing the merch, actually introducing uh-huh. new merch that never existed. Uh, and every time the camera is trained on her, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people are watching and now say, you know what? I never watched the NFL before. I'm going to turn on the NFL, and especially when the Kansas City Chiefs are playing. Oh, my gosh, they're in the Super Bowl. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl now. So I appreciate, Christopher, your service. Once a Marine, always a Marine, not a former Marine. And thank you for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Are you ready for it? Oh, yeah, we're ready for it. Producer Pete, comment, please. All right, so I, I'll add something else to to a piggyback on what you were saying. You were saying about the crossover and the, some of the older women. What about the parents of these uh, yes. young girls? Yes. So now you have, say, you're a mother or even a father, but you have the young girl who, you know, or a young, you know, could be 10, 11, 12 years old. Now they want to watch the NFL. Now you will get the mothers watching, and maybe you'll get more bonding moments between father and daughter. Great comment, producer Pete. The topic this half hour on the Brian Kilmeade Show is should Taylor Swift be
be awarded with an NFL Kansas City Chiefs championship Super Bowl 58 ring. So far, every caller has said no, and they might have added an H-E double hockey sticks to it if given the opportunity. Call us now at 866-408-7669 for your opinion on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jesse is in West Virginia. I think he's going to make it a hat trick. Jesse, ring or no ring for Tay-Tay? No ring. Tell us why. Well, because, uh, for one thing, I think that once you do that, you're opening up a can of worms. For example, let's say next year in another team, they're dating a celebrity. And let's say they break up halfway through, and then they get back together, you know, back near the end. Are you going to give her one? And also, suppose she's a different race than Taylor Swift. Is she going to play the race card because she didn't get one and Taylor Swift did? It's really hard to judge something like that. I think Jesse, that once you do that, I think you're opening up a, it's, to, it, a, it's, to a lot it, of different things. It's a fair comment, and every relationship thus far has ended. This one seems a little bit different than most. I wouldn't be surprised, and maybe there'll even be betting odds that will be available because you can bet on anything. You could have bet on this at the Super Bowl if after the game uh, Travis Kelsey would get down on one knee and propose to Taylor at Super Bowl 58. Obviously, it did not happen. Let's also not forget, Jessica Simpson and even Carrie Underwood came before Tay-Tay, but Tay-Tay is at an all-time different level. Uh, Jeff is in Pennsylvania. Are we going to do the quadruple Lindy now? Uh, Jeff, ring for Tay-Tay or no ring? No ring. I'm in with all the previous callers. And I think, like the just previous one, you're opening up a can of worms. What happens next to the the guy or organization or even political party? It donates millions and millions of dollars, and it just takes away from everything. And I don't like to look at me, people. I don't like all these social pages for that reason because everybody wants to get attention. I got tired of seeing Taylor in the press box. I did not like uh, – oh. The the brother I can't even think of his name now. Uh, uh, lifted Jason. Up the girl. Jason. Jason. Yeah, lifted up the girl. Um, you know to show her to Taylor, and he was drinking previously. That and I'm sure he was okay, but it's it's the idea and what sticks in your head. Yeah. Other. I will I, say uh, this, Jeff. Other than the alcohol part of your comment, I thought that was beautiful when he picked her up with the biggest smile in the world, and somebody got to meet her performing idol. I mean, it was it was special. Jeff, I want to thank you for listening and especially for calling in today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, that's pretty uh, fortuitous right there, perhaps. If past his prologue, then uh, Eric knows what he was doing just then. We're going to go to Brian in just a moment, but I want to give producer Pete an opportunity to uh, – Weigh in on where we are right now with what I knew was going to be a very particip- participative topic. This is good. Yeah, people are uh, – they are very passionate on this, and uh, we're, we're going to get some people that might shock you with uh, actually what they believe, whether she should get a ring or not. Well, let's, let's attempt to shock the world, the Brian Kilmeade world, as soon as we come back. Don't anybody go away on the phone lines with producer Pete, who I'm co-hosting this segment with, Eric, and of course – Senior producer Allison, this is Harry Hurley filling in today for the great Brian Kilmeade. 
Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you so very much. Your listenership, your phone calls, just awesome energy. I'm feeding off of it. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who has earned the day off and will be back real soon. We are talking with producer Pete. We're co-hosting this segment of the Brian Kilmeade Show about Taylor Swift and should she be awarded an NFL Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl 58 championship ring. No one has said yet that Tay-Tay should get a ring ring. Brian is in Portland, Oregon. Brian, are you going to break break us off the schneid here? Uh, yes or no for Tay-Tay? Ring, but here's the deal. Just over 10 years ago as a Green Bay Packers fan, I was offered the opportunity to get a commemorative Green Bay Packers championship ring. I did not have the money. I didn't get one. But if such a thing is available, sure. Well, the well that, Brian, though, let me ask you, though. Not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. I'm not talking about, uh, uh, like, um, a fake thing, commemorative. Yeah. I'm talking about getting issued one that she would get with every other employee in the organization. Not a commemorative. Yeah. Is that a yeah, yes probably still? Probably not. Okay. So there you go. Thank you, Brian. That's a hard no. I thought we had one, but see, that's why the, the follow-up is usually better than the first question. I pressed that, and then he brought up this commemorative thing. Before we bring Nancy on in Ohio, producer Pete has such an analogous example days gone by years gone by producer pete joe dimaggio married marilyn monroe when after he was a ball player marilyn monroe was the biggest probably i got what would you call a pinup girl or just oh yeah yeah i guarantee you had he played and she was his wife and there was tv like today they would have shown her more than any other crowd shot we could it, think of it's such a, such a great analogy. Nancy is in Ohio. We have five straight no's. Nancy, should Tay Tay get a ring? Yes. Quick answer: Why? Well, it goes right along with the idolatry. Everything that has been showered on her, all of the attention, everything, and it draws a line in the sand as to where everybody stands. Great to talk to you, Nancy. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for having such uh, good taste in radio talk shows and listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Allison, Pete, and Eric, my name is Harry Hurley filling in today for The Great Brian Kilmeade. Stay tuned. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.